have to worry because you are our creator. You are our shelter in the storm. You are the banner over us, Lord. Yes. So I pray, God, that as we come into this time, God, that we would have a <clears throat> grateful heart, Lord. Father, grateful for all you've done for us, God. But ultimately, grateful for the salvation that comes through Jesus. Pray, God, that during this time of worship and in the word to come, that our hearts would be open, that we would block out all the distractions that would seek to take our attention from you, Lord. And everything that we do, we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name. We're going to go ahead and go into our time of worship. Feel free to stay seated, stand, however you feel bad to worship. This keeps me going. Thank you. 
Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, that your word calls us to abide in Christ for those who are in Christ. Father, for we know apart from you we can do nothing. As the scriptures encourage us to pray, God, oh, search our hearts, oh God. Test us. See if there's any wicked way within us, Lord. Father, it is your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, you are not stiff-arming us. God, your arms are open to receive us. Oh God, that we would know the love of the Father. That it's through Christ, Lord, that we can be reconciled to you. It's because of your love. that You gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we thank you for that hope. We thank you that your word encourages us, God, that our hope in Jesus would never disappoint us. So, Father, allow us to to take our eyes off the temporalness of this life. And as we gather this morning, Lord, may we look up and be encouraged as you lead us in this time, Father, as we open up your word to be fed. I pray for each one of us that we would have a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we will go forth out in a, in a, among the wicked and perverse generation, that we can walk upright, and that we could be your hands and feet to a generation that desperately needs to know the love of the Father through Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you, Gilda. Hello, Melissa, you're online, so good to see you as well. So community is what I've been talking about for over a year now. Encouraging us to understand what it truly means to be part of the Christian community. So there's two definitions that I put out every Sunday before us. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as I've been encouraging us to remember, Jesus is the center of the Christian community. There's many communities out there. But it's only the Christian community that has the truth. Not because man says it. It's because Jesus himself says it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. And as I've been encouraging us, we are in a day and age where things have shifted 
and they've shifted quickly. We cannot continue to do church as we've done church. And it's important that we understand that. Church isn't about us. Church is about Christ. We make it about us. We come seeking to be entertained. We come seeking to be, you know, fed, if you would, to meet our needs. But the reality is, is when you come to Christ, you're there to meet Him. You're there to be about your Father's business. Jesus is our example. And while Jesus was upon the earth, Jesus was about His Father's business. And as we come to Christ, we understand the call of a disciple is to deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow Him. But there's not a lot of Christians denying themselves. There's a lot of Christians who want to be themselves. And they want to just stamp Jesus to their forehead. They, they just want to claim the promises of the kingdom, but neglect the king. And that's not how it works, though that is what's being promoted. If you look at what's happening in the Christian community, especially in the Western church, we've made it about us. On our timeline, how we like worship, how we like the preaching, how we like this and how we like that. But the reality is, is you should be coming for Christ. Like we're coming together to meet together as a community to hear from the one who has brought us together. And as I've been sharing, we are a mixed group of people from all backgrounds. But there's one thing we have in common. We're sinners. (laughs) We've all lived a life before Christ. And it's that rebellious life towards his throne. And I keep encouraging us, you can't let the enemy, you can't let the world, and you can't let your flesh teach you your theology, your understanding of God. Because all of those will lead you astray. No, you need to be taught the word, the truth of God. You have to understand the character of God. You have to understand the fullness of God. And to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to pervert the word of God. And as I've said to you before, a lot of these other communities out there, especially the religious ones, I encourage you, go, go study them. And what you'll find is they have truth, but it's just twisted. It's just twisted. It's the most craziest thing. And before I came to Christ, I was so lost. I was involved in so many different communities out there, just trying to to find some sense of belonging, some sense of identity, some sense of hope, some sense of purpose. And yet I hated God with a passion. I hated Christians. I hated the church. Y'all have heard this over and over. But when God stepped in, revealed himself to me, it radically changed my life. And then when I began to really study his word, I began to realize how many years I lived deceived. Like all along, I thought God was the one who had the problem. In reality, I was quite humble that, no, I have the problem. I'm in sin. I'm a sinner. I'm in complete rebellion towards your throne. You are a holy God. And when you get that revelation, you humble yourself. And as I've shared with you before, my question 
as it was from the beginning 25 years ago when my life was impacted with truth by Christ is how now then shall I live? Because I know how Rob would live if Rob was in control, but I'm not in control anymore. I have given myself away, God. I belong to you. And he engrafts us into his family, into the community of believers. And see, our purpose when we come together, as we've studied throughout this year, is to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. See, when you come together and you collectively are a part of the community, you're looking out for the interests of others before you look out for yourself. But where do you hear that? Where do you see that a lot nowadays in the church community? But that's not how it should be. No. If this Christian life can't be lived, then he's a liar. But I'm not ready to call him a liar. I truly believe this life can be lived, not in and of ourselves, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, when he looks at the community that he brought together, he says, I have to go away so that he will come. He being the Holy Spirit. He's our counselor. He's our guide. He's our teacher. And you are to be walking in the Spirit The Bible says if you walk continually, habitually in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, the enemy wants to pervert scripture. The world wants to pervert scriptures. The world system, everything about it is against the throne of God. And your flesh, that nature that all of us are born into, will love nothing more than to teach us in error. Because remember, I keep encouraging y'all to know one thing about yourself. Is that flesh nature only wants to do one thing. That's to die. The flesh only knows to feast off the stuff of this world that'll kill it. And so when you're living against God, you're basically saying, give me the right to die. And to die miserably. But that's not how it should be. You see, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. So as a community of believers, we have the truth. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. We're called to think of others before we think of ourselves. We're to live totally different. So that we are impacting all the other communities that are out there. They're not our enemies. And yet there's a lot of Christians who look at the lost as they're the ones that are our enemies. We're at war with them. We're not at war with these other communities. No, because if not for Christ, where would we be? Out there. But because of Christ, we have the hope of Christ to go in. But we know they will hate us. We know that they will not accept us and our message. Because Jesus tells us if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But Jesus is our example. He didn't water down his message and hope that they would love him. And we're not to water down the message. We're not to go out and to beat them over the head with it. We're just to be able to live it and present it to them. And to pray for them. And to encourage them. And ultimately to love them. Because our, our war is not with flesh and blood. Our war is with the principalities in the air and the darkness. But the gospel, you all. Is the power to transform lives. The gospel. And I always encourage you, before you go out there to preach the gospel, preach it to yourself. Daily. 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 
is so important. I am not my own. I belong to Christ. When's the last time you pulled yourself in the mirror and told yourself that? When's the last time when you had a bad attitude at work that you stepped into the bathroom and reminded yourself, I am not my own. I belong to Christ. You see, when you understand that as a Christian, you are a dead person. The Bible says that you've nailed that old nature to his cross. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. So this life now that you've called me to, God, I can't do, but you can. So Holy Spirit, here I am. Forgive me. Teach me. You see, our our goal isn't perfection. Our goal is maturing. See, we're not perfected till we are with him. But by God, we ought to be maturing as Christians, knowing our God, loving our God, seeking after him and living upright. Yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But I love what Jesus says. Rob, be of good cheer. Get over yourself. I have already overcame the world. You see, when we are so temporal minded and temporal focused, we're just going to live out of our flesh and we're going to feast off the flesh, giving us rights to ourselves. But that's not how a Christian ought to be living. See, the community of believers, we are a peculiar people. We are a different people. That's why people on the outside look in and said there's something weird about them. And it's okay. It's okay. Because it's what draws them to Christ. What is it about you? How are you getting through what you're going through? Because I know you're going through a lot. And so you don't tell them about you and you don't have to carry on about your circumstances. You can just tell them about the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God who is getting you through. To really love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To trust in Him in every circumstance. It's nice to be on the mountaintop. The blessings just keep flowing day in and day out. You have no cares in the world, just praising Jesus. But unfortunately, that's not where we're all going to remain. The majority of our time, we're going to be in the valley. (laughs) In the valley. But here's the good news. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because He is with me. He is with me. He anoints my head with oil. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. You see, there's reasons to worship and to praise your King. To know your God with everything in you, everything that's out here, and everything that's in that realm you cannot see wants to deceive you and mislead you. But God knows the condition of our hearts from the beginning. If you've been here long enough, you should know this already, what I'm about to say. What is God's plan and purpose to have a people that he will call his own And in return, they will call him their God. From the beginning, Genesis through Revelation, God's plan, God's purpose, it's unveiled to us. He will have a people, a community, a family that belongs to him. And that he would be their God. 
the creator you, you all, the one who spoke and all things were formed. He's a God of love. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of love. And you have to understand this. There's no error in God. I know we like to believe there is. Like he's the one that has the issues. He's a mean old God. But the reality is he's a just God. He says, you want that? You want that to keep lording over your life? You want to keep going your way? Then I'll turn you over to it. I'll give you what you want. But I keep revealing myself to you. And we see it from the beginning all the way to the end. He he tells those that he's revealed himself to, come to me, abide in me, remain in me, trust in me. Live for me. Grow in me. Know your new identity. The old has passed away. All things are made new. And we ought not to keep wrestling with him and fighting for our position and our wants. No, we should just be submitting to him. Like he's got us, you all. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will get us through the other side. But while we are here, we are to be his representatives. We're to, be, we're to be encouraged daily to get up. And that's what I said, as we're walking through the valley together, we're not taking up camp. No, we're walking through. So many times we just want to take up camp. And that's not what we're called to do. And so many times I, I, I've encouraged you, the issue a lot of times within the Christian community is that we give up because life gets hard. The Christian walk gets hard. Dying to self is not easy. Trust me, I know. But it's so worth it to really embrace the fullness of life. So I want to encourage you all. We're what now into the 10th month. Ah, it's crazy. The year's almost over. I don't know where you're at in your heart with community. Being part of a Christian fellowship. Being connected to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up in our walks in Christ. Not just coming, not just making it about us, our time schedule. No, no, are you coming to seek Christ? My God, I'm among family. I've been engrafted into your family. I've been adopted. I've been given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. My God, I want to live for you. I'm not perfect. And God, you're still working things out and in me. And I'm trusting my soul to your care. I don't have to be bound by shame and guilt and condemnation. For there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You understand the message that you have, if you're a Christian, to take out into this world. This world is a hostile place. And it's against Christ. God so loved it. And he still does. I mean, up until, I don't know if you've read Revelation lately. All hell is hitting the earth. (laughs) And yet God is still revealing himself to mankind. And the Bible says that they are going to scream, they're going to hide in rocks, and they're going to say, no, you're not God. (laughs) 
my Jesus. To the end, he is still revealing himself. But mankind, the created, they are in complete rebellion to its creator. And oh, how I pray that's not you today. Oh, how I pray that you understand the love of God. You see, I heard this quote today, and it's funny because I've been just been praying through just repentance and just praying not just for us as a church, but the church at large, because we're so needed. We're still on this earth. The world needs us here. <laughs> because darkness can never extinguish light. But oh, as long as the light is among the earth, <laughs> there's still hope. There's still hope. But I heard this quote today. I'm like, man, that is so good. And it went something like this. So many times we think repentance is needed for God to love us. But that's not what repentance is meant for. Repentance is because God loves us already. You see, the Bible says it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Listen, he could have allowed me to take those pills and end my life 25 years ago. But in one of the darkest moments of my life, he stepped in and said, today you'll live. And a man that so much hated God, hated Christians, one of the darkest times in my life, the first thing I did, as I've shared with you over and over, is my hands went over my head and was like, oh Jesus, you're real. The presence in that room was like nothing I've ever experienced before in my life. And I was so far away from Christ. I, when I tell you, I hated him. And all of a sudden, his presence is filling this room. And I'm like, ah, what do I do now? Because I know I'm so far from you. And yet he was so near to me. As he is with all of us. As he is with all of us. Since you've taken your first breath, he's been with you. And he's revealing himself over and over and over and over to you. But it's us that keeps pushing him aside. But don't push him aside any longer, you all. Time is getting short. His desire is that you would know him. And be known by him. You see, this is the Christian community. Go to Ephesians 4. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6. So these are scriptures that we've heard that I'm, I'm putting out in front of us in hopes to encourage us in community. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, I beg you to what? Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because, look at this, of your love. Make every effort. What did that just say? Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together, listen to this, with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope 
for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Unity in the body. You see, I'm so tired of hearing all of the brouhaha against the church. Listen, we better be very careful. You're talking about God's bride. You're talking about the body of Christ. Your issue is not with the church. So the next time you want to talk and speak ill of the church, you better speak ill of the religious institution, not the church. You see, there's always going to be religious people intermingling in with the body of Christ. It has been from the beginning, and it will be to the end. But don't be alarmed by it. Don't be alarmed by it. Just recognize it. The wheat and the tares, they grow together. Just live your life as you should. As you should. God will take care of the religious people. He will continue to expose them. It's not your duty to expose them. It's your duty just to continue to live as Christ before them. The religious people were irritated with Christ. I mean, these were the men who should have known Christ. But you remember what Jesus told them? Your father's the devil. These were the men who were leading the church at that time. And Jesus looks at them and says, your father's the devil. You work hard and you travel far. These are Jesus' words. To win converts. But you're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. I mean, think about that. So we ought not to be surprised. So if you have issues with the church, would you just get over it? Because it's not the church you have issues with. It's the religious people in the church that is distorting the truth of God's word. And you let the church leadership address that. The Bible is so very clear on how to deal with the issues that are going on in the church. They should be dealt with. They shouldn't be swept underneath the rug. We shouldn't be changing the gospel to fit people's needs and to keep them in. They want to go, go. They have every right. Remember Jesus. Thousands of people were following him. Thousands. And then finally at the point when his time of ministry was about to shift and he was going to truly reveal himself for who he was and the purpose of his mission, the cross, they didn't understand it. He says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He starts teaching spiritual depth, in-depth truth to them. And do you remember what the Bible tells us they do? Thousands of them. They look at each other and say, what's he saying? This is hard to understand. And what do they do? The Bible says they turned and they went back to their old lives. He was no longer meeting their needs. Feed us, Jesus. Feed us, Jesus. Heal us, Jesus. Heal us, Jesus. Do for us, Jesus. Do for us, Jesus. And as soon as he began to truly reveal himself for who he was and his purpose, they were like, mm, it's too hard. And they went back. Then he looked at the 12. And don't forget, Judas was still among the 12. He looked at them and he said, 
Are you leaving too? You see, if you, I've told you over and over, if I was writing the Bible, I would have, as all those thousands of people turned and just left him, in, a, in just a few seconds, they all walked away from me. I would, have, I would have written there, Jesus wept. But it doesn't say that. He weeps at another time. But he stood there because he knew the hearts of men. He already knew that they weren't with him. They were there, there, they were there for them. <laughs> he also did not run ahead of them and say, okay, 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 I'll dumb down my message. I'll make it easier for you. And see, we're all just kind of get along. We're all singing Kumbaya. No, no, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't deny himself in order to win them. He watched them turn from him. And then he looked at the community that he was bringing together, the 12. And he says to them, are you leaving too? He gave them an option. Are you leaving too? And remember how they responded. First Peter spoke up and then everyone else spoke up. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Have you been there? Has your faith been so challenged that you wanted to turn? Don't turn. Cling to Christ and say, where can I go? What are you going to go back to? What are you going to go back to? Your filth? Your bad attitudes? Your selfishness? The insecurities, all of that junk that's back there, what did that do for you? Nothing. Nothing. You cling to Christ. These 12 guys, they didn't know what was ahead for them. But Jesus knew what was ahead for all of them. He knows what's ahead for us. And so that's why we must be united in purpose. See, when I keep telling you, we can't just keep doing church the way we've done church. Listen, I've shucked and jived with the best of them. I've preached hard in many different churches. I've done this and I've done that. But listen, the desire in this generation is for people to know God and to live for God and ultimately to love God. To love God. It's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. I don't want to entertain you. I just want to feed you. Seriously. We, we sit here when we're together on Sunday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And anytime you have individual time with me, and all we talk about is the word. <laughs> Jesus. That's it. That's it. Because it's what's needed. Do you understand? You need to be prepared for the times that are upon this earth. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, not, it's not, you know, kumbaya time. Go in for an hour, rush back out for an hour and live however else you want the rest of the week. No, no, no. Do you understand? You are purposed for this generation. The Bible says that he formed you. He knows you. He numbered the hairs on your head before he placed you into your mother's womb. He already prepared good works for you to do for his kingdom. So let your creator lead you. And the only way that you can be reconciled back to him is through the provision that he's made 
through his son Jesus. Through his son Jesus. And to understand the works of the cross and the power of the resurrection and the community that was birthed, the church, and how when that community was birthed, it changed the world. It's impacting till this day, until he returns. It's ushering, it's marching forward, taking ground. That's what I keep saying, take ground, take ground. Don't give it up, don't give up the ground, don't retreat, don't turn back. No, take ground, keep pressing in, grow in faith. Let your prayer life develop. Let your devotion go deeper. Have a greater level and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. But not in and of yourself, but in Christ. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I keep encouraging the Word of God says you have not because you've asked not. So many times when the revelation of the issue that's still within our heart, God, the the Holy Spirit is gracious to reveal it, we close up and say, no, I don't want to deal with that. Oh, I don't want to be too holy. You know, it's okay to, I go to church, but I don't want people to think I'm one of those people. What? You're calling yourself a Christian. Do you understand the standard that God set? Not man, but God set. Again, all my life I was told how much God hated me. That was an abomination. You hate me, I hate you then. And yet though they were right, to give me part truth, I didn't have the whole truth. Once I had the whole truth, I was like, wow, God, you love me? Like the issue wasn't you, but it was me? Like when you realize the love of God, the love of God, and why would you trade the love of God for the wrath of God? Because you want this temporal little feelings that are here today and gone tomorrow, chasing after things. That ultimately leads you nowhere. Chasing after relationships. I just gotta belong, I just gotta belong, I just gotta keep doing, I just I gotta be there for and it's exhausting. But if we would just do it God's way, it's much easier, you all. It's much easier. But it's work. It's work, and that's why he birthed the church, because you need the community. And that's why we can't put ourselves on pedestals like, I got this, and too bad you don't. (laughs) Too bad you are still struggling. That's not how you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to think that you're high and mighty. You remain humble. Because if not for the grace of God, guess where you would be? Back there. (laughs) So if we would just remain humble and realize I need Christ just as much as you need Christ. And I want to look out for you before I look out for myself. And we're in this together. So you understand the community aspect and how we can actually impact a generation. Again, the generation is getting darker and darker and darker. I mean, things are shifting left and right overnight. And even the unsaved people. I've been watching this one guy on Instagram. He's as lost as can be. But let me tell you something. He's speaking like truth about what's happening in the earth. I'm speaking truth of the gospel. And every time I watch him, I pray for him. For God, he's right there. Because Lord, if he keeps seeking and seeing what he's seeing, you're opening up his eyes and he's only going to come to one point. I need Jesus. He's the only answer for this mess. Because everything that he's touting, everything that he's speaking of, 
It's all revealed in here. Everything that's happening, that's why I keep encouraging you all, go out there and have spiritual conversations. Like if we're not equipping each other to know our God, to know His Word, then we're just as lost as everyone else. You don't have to hide the fact that you're a Christian and that you're growing in your Christian life. Get out there and have spiritual conversations. Listen to others. And we don't have to to judge them. No, we can listen to them. We could give them the opportunity to hear truth. Hear Hear their stories. Don't shun them. Don't beat them down. But at least tell them the truth. Give them the opportunity to know Jesus. Because things are shifting. The level of the occult, the level of perversion, the level of strife, the level of murder, the level of hatred. Such great division. The spirit of deception is running amok. And we just want to come in and play church. No, no, we don't have time for that anymore. You've got to get rooted. You've got to get grounded because things are coming. And quickly upon the church, the line is drawn. You're either for Christ or you're against him. Think about that when you go out there in the world, in your workplace, in the grocery stores. But don't be afraid to talk and to share of Christ. But just understand, like I've told you before, our brothers and sisters overseas, I said, God, I mean, these people, when they give their life to Christ, they know. They know. I'm about, I will lose everything. I'll lose my possessions. I'll lose my job. I'll lose my family. I don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like. But God, you're real to me. And I accept you. I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of Jesus. It's not a joke to them. I mean, they know. And it reminds me of the Bible tells us. And what I've been telling you. And as I disciple, I'm out there encouraging others. Jesus himself tells us, don't come to me unless you consider the cost. I mean, this is Jesus' words. We make it so easy nowadays. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Say a little prayer. Say a little prayer. Do a little dance. Speak in tongues. Do this. Do that. Everyone's a Christian. You don't see that here. Jesus looks at the people and he says, consider the cost before you come after me. Because it's going to cost you everything. Everything. Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, you all. I don't know if you studied them recently. He says, do you think I came to bring peace? No, I came to divide. Because those who aren't in me, they're at war with my throne. Did we grasp that? Before you came to Christ, you were at war with his throne. (coughs) But God, you all. Birth a community in the midst of a hostile environment and said, Go, bear light.
bear truth. Our brothers and sisters overseas today, when they got ready for church, you've heard me say this before, I want to keep bringing it to our minds. Mama, daddy, with their kids, or maybe they're a single individual. Whoever they may have been, I'll use the example of the family. They look at each other and they say, okay, we're going to worship Jesus. They got to go out into a to the to the in the wilderness. Some some have to go down into a basement of some rundown buildings, wherever the location's meeting that day. And they have to look at each other as they're finishing their prayer time and encourage each other. This may be the last time we see each other. They may they may barge in and drag us out, but don't deny Jesus, little Johnny. Don't deny Jesus. Cling to Jesus no matter what they do to me. As the father's speaking, maybe as the mother's speaking. No matter what they do, don't deny Jesus. And this is every day for them. This just isn't on a Sunday. This is every day when they go out in their community because they live in communities that they will decapitate you for being a Christian. And you say, well, okay, that's, that's pretty severe, that's them. But if we have that attitude, do you not realize that you too? Like, if you didn't make the same commitment they made, then what, have you, what, have, what, have, what commitment did you make? What was comfortable for me? I just went to the altar, I said a little prayer, poof, I'm a Christian. But did you consider the cost? Do you understand? Jesus himself says, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. Do you understand? This is a kingdom mentality. You are a new creature. That's why the community is needed. So that we, again, can continue to be iron that sharpens iron. We're all going through it. We're all maturing. We're all growing in Christ. So that we can be about our Father's business. And so that we can reach a generation that desperately needs to know Jesus. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. Because as darker as it's getting, the church, Christians, the community of Christ, it should be burning brighter. Brighter. That's what it's supposed to be, you all. We ought to be excited in this. And you say, but you don't know what I'm going through. Okay, well, let's go through it together. But please stop allowing what you're going through to be what's mastering you. Because <laughs> again, you could just keep telling us about your valley, but you're trying to get me to take up camp with you in it. And we can't take up camp. You don't get comfortable in the midst of your circumstances. And I don't make light of those circumstances. Lord knows I've gone through. And I'm sure the days to come, I'll go through again. <laughs> but one thing I've learned as I was trying to say earlier, is what, what's lacking in the Western church is we give up. We don't persevere. Trials hit us and we're like, oh, we crumble. Little wind blows against our life. We can't pay our electric bill. Oh, we, we crumble. But we must remember what the Word of God says. Trials, they come into our lives for a purpose. To produce within us perseverance. Don't give up. 
You keep going through because the only way you're going to mature is through it. Because the, what does the Bible say? After perseverance, after it's being worked in you, character. Your character in Christ begins to take form. And as your character is being formed in Christ, what does the Bible end with? Hope. And that hope is in Christ. And that hope will never bring disappointment to you. So you're not looking for your circumstances. I've told many of people over the years, if your circumstances never change, is he still God? Because if all you're doing is seeking God for your circumstances to change, then you're very selfish and you don't understand God and the provision that he's made through Christ. Yes, can he do it? Oh, yes, he can. But wonder if he doesn't. Wonder if your circumstances is what's needed to reach others for Christ. Are you mature enough in your faith to keep going through each day and be faithful to Christ as he is faithful to you? Are you mature enough to repent? Because maybe there's things and choices you're making that you ought not to be making. That's bringing the issues to yourself. And he's trying to work something in you so that people will go, hey, I remember you used to be this way. what what, What do you mean? What's going on in your life? Oh, God's working in me. You see, I'm a follower of Jesus. I mean, you don't have to go to a theological school to tell others about Jesus. Just start sharing what he's doing in your life. Just start believing in what Christ has for us. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Oh, I guess so. What, it's been two weeks since I've been with you all. I'm going to behave myself and not keep us here all day. But I do have some scriptures for us. Romans 12. You say the whole chapter? Yes, the whole chapter. You've got to hear this. Again, community. Living as a sacrifice to God. Again, this is, if you're calling yourself a Christian, this is your identity. And this is how you're to be living. And you say, but it's so hard. It's okay. Listen, you've, heard, you've been around me long enough too that it's when I'm counseling people and I'm discipling people. What's the one phrase I hate? I'm trying. I'm trying, Rob. I'm trying. And you say, well, why do you hate that phrase? It's because that's the problem. You're trying. You've got to get out of the way. You got to get out of the way. You got to trust that Christ has given you the Holy Spirit who has been promised to you so that you may live according to what He's purposed for you. You see, He didn't set these standards and said, now figure it out. No, He said, the standards are set and I've empowered you. As Scripture keeps telling us to live like Jesus. You're not Jesus, but you're to live like Jesus. So when I keep, when I'm counseling people and discipling people and I keep hearing, well, I'm trying and I'm trying, understand that's the problem. You're trying. Your dependence is not on yourself to do everything right. Your dependence is upon the Holy Spirit. So God, I'm having an issue with this. God, only you can bring it in me and bring it through me. So God, here I am. I mean, this is how you're relating to your Creator. Trusting in him. And so, dear brothers and sisters, now Paul is writing to the church in Rome. 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Listen to this. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does God transform you? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Oh, don't think, uh, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We have many parts of one body, and we all belong, listen to this, to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts to do for doing certain things well. So if God is giving you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If, God, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Oh God, if we were here, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. <laughs> really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold firmly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. It didn't say keep on grumbling. It said keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud and enjoy the... And, I'm sorry, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Lead that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And doing so, you will reap, I'm sorry, you would heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And then finally, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And you say, Oh, that's good. But are you living it? Because that's how you're supposed to be living. You see, this is the mirror to know God. He's revealing himself to us and calling, him, calling us to himself so that we may live according to his plan and his purpose. This is the Christian community. Remember, these people are just as messed up as we are. Understand that. These are Jewish religious people 
who have repented, came to Christ, have humbled themselves. Then you have the Gentile people who were just filth upon filth, being delivered and saved, coming in, and now they and they both hated each other. And now they're in per, now they're in one accord because of Christ. I mean, a lot of them were temple prostitutes. There were temples built in the, these cities. And we had the male and female prostitutes being saved. They're on the steps of the temple, giving themselves over and over and over because the people who worship these false gods, that's what they thought of their performance of sexual sin with these prostitutes pleases their God. And these people are being saved. And they're all coming together going, how do we live now? And they're being instructed. Not by man. Oh, isn't it great? Everyone's real quick. Man wrote the Bible. Oh, no, no. Man penned the Bible, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way men, all these generations apart, could put this together so perfectly that reveals the nature of God and the plan of God. Oh, we better wake up. And why is it that this is the only, this is the only book that is banned or trying to be banned worldwide? See, you got to understand it's a spiritual war. It wouldn't make sense. I keep telling us this. It wouldn't make sense in the natural realm to kill Christians. It wouldn't make sense. Christians are supposed to be the most productive people. Hopefully this will hit some of our hearts. Hopefully you're a productive individual. You're to be the best worker. You're not to be there lazy. You're not to be coming in and strolling in when, you're, when it feels right to you. No, because you're working against unto the Lord. You're not to be involved in all the gossiping, the brouhaha, and the carrying on that goes on. You see, you are a peculiar person because people want to drag you into that, but you're like, oh, no, no, thank you. And you say, really, can that be lived? Yes, it can be lived. Is it hard? Yes. I mean, I've told you when I was at First USA, that credit card company, God had me exposed that I was a Christian. And these people that I sat around, they were far from being a Christian. But they took interest in the God that I served because I honored him. I didn't have to fight with him. I didn't tell him, oh, you're bad, you're going to hell. It, you know, they're constantly inviting me. I don't know, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't do that any longer. But enjoy yourselves. Like I said, you need to take, be confident in who God is and live how he, as he called you. I made a lot of friends there. And then I told you, then they, then they came one night and said, hey, Rob, before we go out to the clubs, we just want to hang out with you. Let's go down to the pool room because at First USA they had this game room. And we just want to shoot pool with you. And we just hung out. We laughed. I didn't, I didn't demand that they change their ways. Who am I to demand them to change their ways? I changed my ways. Because I'm in Christ. I'm a believer. And they recognize that. Do people recognize that in your life? I mean, there's always people from my past who want to throw my past up. But that's okay. Throw it up. It only encourages me more that God has done something in me because you're right. If I was still in charge, guess where I would be? 
back there. But Christ delivered me. So listen, you can't let your past dictate you who you are now. And even though people want to throw up all what you did and who you were and everything, bless God. Thanks for the reminder. And I'm glad that you're seeing something new in me. See, there's a way in which we're called to live as a living sacrifice. See, again, like I said earlier, if it can't be lived, then he's a liar. But I'm not ready to call him a liar. I believe wholeheartedly. I gave my life to Christ. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. What does that mean now? What does that look like, God? I just want to live for you. As much energy as I put in to live how I used to live, I want to put just as much of that in to living for you. Because your promises are yes and amen. Everything else I was chasing was here today, gone tomorrow. But your steadfastness, your love endures forever. You are for me and not against me. Like, listen, I keep telling you, you ought to be preaching yourself happy. You ought to be speaking and get delivering sermons to yourself daily. That's how I want you to grow in your knowledge of God and the Word of God. It's good to hear preaching. It's good to be among fellowship. But sometimes you're alone. Sometimes you're going to endure the hardest times alone. God is with you, not alone. And all that you're feasting off of should come flooding back. You're looking at someone who suffered with depression and anxiety and panic attacks and all this other crippling stuff. And I never forget that one day I was laying in bed dealing with it. And I said, What am I doing here? No. Not doing it anymore. I refuse to allow this to be crippling me. I didn't even blame the devil. It was my own faults. It was my own doubts. It was me, myself, and I. And I said, Oh no, I will get up from this bed. And if all I know to do just read the word and that's what I'll do. That's where I've learned that came from when I say preach yourself happy. That's what I had to start doing. I had to go take all the strength that I had to say, Holy Spirit, remind me of all your truths. And let me tell you, when you start focusing on his truths, when you start moving and, 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 and living in that realm, listen, all this other stuff that wants to affect you begins to fade. And if it doesn't, he'll sustain you. He'll sustain you through it. And you'll get up each day with a purpose. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3 through 16. Again, Scriptures to encourage community and how you are part of the community if you're a Christian and how you're to be living. Philippians 2, 3-16. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And listen to verse 5. Highlight it, circle it, go back to it. Carrie will send out the notes. If you're not on our Facebook or if you're not on our emails, get with Carrie after the service because you should take the notes, sit down with them, meditate upon them, pray through them. If you can join us Wednesday, either in person or in Zoom, we go a little bit deeper. But listen to verse 5. Keep it before you this week. You must. It didn't say when you have an opportunity. No, no. You must. It didn't say when you feel like it. It says you must. Verse 5 of the Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Think about that. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you, O oh God, hear this, the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Who does that in you? God. You can't conjure it up. You can't try to maneuver it and, and pretend. No, no, no. It is God who gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Oh God, hear this. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. We are called to have the same attitude as Christ. Go to John 21. I'm going to transition from talking about community. And I want you to see this today. John 21. Verse 15 through 17. A few weeks ago, we read in Isaiah, Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. This was the prophet Isaiah. And as he was in the throne room of God, he felt himself in the condition of his humanity. And do you remember what he said? I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'm doomed. But God cleansed him and made him whole. And then God says, who shall I send? 
So he went from being doomed to being cleansed and then standing and saying, here I am, send me. Not in and of himself, but for what God did in his life to cleanse him and to make him right with God. Ultimately, Jesus does the ultimate cleansing. It's through his blood. See, when you come to Christ, you recognize I am doomed. I'm a sinner. I'm at war with your throne. I deserve your wrath and your punishment. And as we're humbling ourselves with this understanding, the love of God begins to overwhelm us. Then we come to an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. The Bible says that that is your belief and that that is your confession. You're saved. Because that confession and that belief belief begins to alter your life. Because if you truly believe that he's the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, his resurrection defeated sin and death. So why are you still clinging to it? See, we make excuses. Well, I'm just going to keep on sinning. I'm just in the flesh. And yet, though, we are in the flesh. And yet, though, you will still be prone to sin. Why are you claiming that over your life? When you're, by claiming that, you're dismissing what God has done. So as a Christian, you recognize, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God and he rose from the dead. That is my belief and that's my confession. I am saved and through his salvation, I've received the Holy Spirit, God himself in me giving me the desire to do what's right and the power to do it. So we're to be living these lives that have been restored. Remember when Jesus says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. That peace in the original text means wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And that's why I keep encouraging you. Are you living a whole life? Stop living out of your brokenness. Stop living out of your pain. Stop living out of your desires and your attractions. Stop living out of what's behind you and start understanding now whom you belong to. Like you're whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You're a value. And I came upon this scripture as I was studying and and just praying and, you know, I just said, you know, I just felt the Lord telling me, you know, as far as the church, not our church, but the church at large, and ultimately for pastors and leaders in the church, that we're not called to entertain the sheep, but we're called to feed the sheep. And we can't feed the sheep until we are truly recognized that we are restored. So this is for you, Christian. You don't turn the gospel into something that's entertaining. The gospel offends. The gospel actually hurts the flesh. Because it's a death to yourself. Peter, we're about to read, before these scriptures, chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. Before this, we all know, if if we've read scripture, the night that Jesus was arrested and was going to be crucified right before all of that happened he told Peter Peter you will deny me you know Peter's all like no God I'm in till the end I'm with you Jesus till the end but as soon as he was arrested he fled 
and he cursed Jesus and he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus even told him, when the rooster crows, and when that rooster crowed on the third time, the depths of despair that hit Peter's heart. Now Jesus is resurrected. We pick up here after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Are you feeding the sheep, y'all? See, Peter could have stayed stuck. Like, oh, how could I have cursed him? How could I have denied him? Oh, what a horrible man that I am. He could have made it all about him. But Jesus was turning Peter to Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Three times. Healing Peter. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Jesus looks at Peter and said, Peter, you're restored. Feed my sheep. Be about my business. You see, that's what it means, y'all, to be a Christian. It's to be about your father's business. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body. It's not about pretending, put on religious mass glory, hallelujah, doing all your religious things. You realize that's the only, that's the, those are the people we're called to have nothing to do with. People who hold a form of religion but deny the power of God to transform lives. Those are the religious people. We're not called to stay away from the lost. Listen, we have to really grasp the urgency of the hour and the day and age in which we're living to be about our Father's business, to reflect upon the death of our Savior, His resurrection that gives us the power to live the newness of life. We're going to take communion before we finish out with our rest of our scriptures. And so, Norma, I think you have time to come and pass out the elements. And... Um, as she's passing this out, I'm going to play this song. And I, as the song is just being sung over us, I want you to kind of reflect on everything that you've heard. I want you to reflect on doing this in remembrance of Him, of all He's done for us. And if there's active sin in your life, if there's things that you need to repent of, then while this worship is, song is being sung over us, just take the time to repent and to get right with God and do this in remembrance of Him. Nothing. 
Carrie, would you pray over the wafer, please? God, we sit here today with these elements, not in and of our own self, but because you commanded us to. You said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take this bread in particular in remembrance of Jesus' body, the payment that was made. Your word says that he was unrecognizable after what they did to him. But it wasn't them, it was our sins that did that. So may we remember that and be grateful for salvation and redemption by taking this in your name. Take the bread. Gilda, would you pray over the cup? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that makes us clean. May we remember the price that you paid and the Hmm. price that you asked us to pay for it. May we live lives that are pleasing unto you. May we remember the cost. Thank you for your love, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup. Thank you, Lord. Do this in remembrance of him. Go to Second Kings. Actually, before Second Kings, the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a tool that I've been sharing with you over this year. It'll probably go into next year. And the Catechism is a teaching. And it's in hopes that you would get rooted in your knowledge of God. Because you are to defend the faith. It's important that you know whom you believe and the truths of this belief. Because it's the truths that set you free. And so the catechism, we're in part part two still, but it's Lord's Day 29. And so these are questions. And then after the questions, you get the answers. And again, you'll get the notes. You'll be able to go back and read all the scripture that makes up the answer to these questions that maybe you will be asked. And again, it may not be by verbatim, like word by word, but You could get asked questions by unbelievers or even by Christians who are growing in their faith. And so you should be able to answer questions. And so actually today, the two questions that we're going to hear is about communion. And so question 78, do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? And here's the answer. No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood, and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things. So, to the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the actual body of Christ, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of the sacraments. Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? or the new covenant in his blood. And Paul used the words, a sharing in Christ's body and blood. Well, here's your answer. Christ has good reasons for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink 
of our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance. And that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally have suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. And you say, Rob, that's a lot. I know it is. So that's why you get the notes to go back and sit. To read through. Scriptures are given for you to go back and study through scripture. You see, the enemy has done a good job in keeping us ignorant of the truth of God's word. Just gives us little bits. Again, the enemy doesn't mind you knowing a little bit. He doesn't even mind you going to church. You're not a threat until you live the life. And you live it in Christ. And so it's important, again, that you're able to defend the faith. Don't stay ignorant, you all, in the word, of the word of God. Grow. This catechism was written years ago. Years ago. In order to equip the church to know her God. All right, go to 2 Kings chapter 9 is where we're heading. We have a few more minutes left. I'm going to walk you through some scriptures. We end our time walking through scripture. A little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, some in Psalms and ending in Proverbs. So hang on. 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 14 through 10. And so Jehu was anointed the last time we met as king over Israel. And so, well, he's actually about to be anointed in verse 14. But remember this, Israel was set aside for God's purpose and plan. It's important, the Old Testament is important to know. Because it's a rich history of God's plan for the coming Messiah. Israel was purposed to be God's people, yet though they were given the law, yet though God told them everything they were supposed to do, God knew that they weren't going to keep it. God's ultimate plan was not for them to keep the law, but for Christ to come through them in order for the world, Gentile and Jew, to be reconciled back to God. But we see this as a foreshadowing of who we are to be, the people of God. God tells these people that he set aside, he pulled them out from all the other nations that were practicing all this other false religions, had all their gods, had all this sexual perversion, had all the feasting of the lust of the eyes and the flesh going on, and he pulls these people out from the other nations and says, you're mine. This is how you're to live. And remember, he tells them, do not get to a place where you look at how they worship their gods and desire that. I'm your God. I mean, think about that. God tells these people in the midst of their generation where it was what you did to worship all these false gods. He says, do not lose sight of me because you put your eyes on how they worship their gods. The freedom that they have to indulge in whatever they want. Don't look at that. Look at me. This is how you're to live. This is how you're to worship me. This is who I am. 
And so all along, these people were being formed and fashioned. And then you remember, they demanded a king. And why did they demand a king? Because every other nation had a king. They had it, why don't we? So they irritated God. God said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. You don't want me? Okay, remember what I said earlier? All along, God will turn you over to what you request. Oh, is that what you want to lord over you? Here, have at it. So he gave them a king. But all along, God purposed a king for them, but it was to be in his timing. And it was always purposed to be King David because the plan for the Messiah was to come through the royal lineage of King David. But he caved them. King Saul, and then all of a sudden, things began to take place. David eventually shows up on the scene. God established what God establishes, what God purposed does come about in God's timing. David dies off. We've got all these other kings coming on the scene, but they're leading God's people astray. Some kings rise up to power and they begin to demolish all of these idols and all of this junk that the Israelites have gone to, but they don't get rid of it completely. And then King Ahab and, King, and Queen Jezebel, they did a work on Israel, you all. And they and their descendants for years ruled and perverted the people of God. And they introduced them to all of this idolatry, all this sexual perversion, all of this filth God's people were impacted with. And you say, God, where are you? Oh, God was there. God kept trying to get their attention. They will not listen. And that's why in the New Testament, why it, t- it tells us why we need the Old Testament so that we understand how we're not to live. We can't be a people who, who say we, we know God and yet live for ourselves. It doesn't work that way, especially now under the New Covenant. So I wanted you to see in this portion, Jehu begins to do what God purposed for generations. God, at, a while ago, tells the prophet to announce that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and all of their, their descendants will be wiped off the face of the earth. He will deal with them. Just because evil is running amok, don't think it's winning. God and God's sovereign time will deal with it. These people were evil to the core. And they would not repent. They would not turn to God. They were all about themselves, ruling and enslaving God's people. So God raises up this commander, Jehu. And Jehu begins to do his thing. So if you read through 9, we're not going to read all through 9. I hope you've read it. I've given you before, but if you haven't read it, it's chapter 9, verse 14 to the end. Jehu then begins to do the will of the Lord. He begins to kill off these people. And he is going in and going after them. I want you to see actually verse 30, because I don't want to miss this. Queen Jezebel, she was a very evil woman. She ruled. King Ahab was a very weak man. Queen Jezebel, she was the ruling one. She influenced King Ahab. She had such great power and authority over him. And she was basically running the show. And I love the fact that we see her death at this time. 
when Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel. Now, the word was out. Jehu was killing. He was on a killing spree for the Lord. She painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him, Have you come in peace, you murderer? You're just like Zimri, who murdered his master. Jehu looked up and saw her out the window. Man, I love this. And shouted, Who is on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. So these eunuchs were, Je- were, Je- were Jezebel's servants. Throw her down, Jehu yelled. So they threw her out of the window, and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hooves. Then Jehu went into the palace and ate and drank. Afterward, he said, someone go and bury this cursed woman. For she is the daughter of a king. But when they went out to bury her, they found only her skull, her feet, and her hands. When they returned and told Jehu, he stated, This fulfills the message from the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Elijah from Tishbe. At the plot of the land of Jezreel, dogs will eat Jezebel's body. Her remains will be scattered like dung on the plot of the land in Jezreel, so that no one will be able to recognize her. This is the Lord, you all. This is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And you say, why are you so excited about the woman's death? Because the word of the Lord came to pass. She She did not love the Lord. She perverted for generations upon generations upon generation. She erected all of this false worships She led the people of God astray. She was a vile, wicked woman, and yet she had ample of time over and over and over to repent, but she never did. And her and her family ruled for a very long time, and they kept influencing the people of God. And then as you go into chapter 10, Jehu goes in and now he begins to slaughter the rest of Ahab's family. All of their descendants, gone. Again, these people ruled. Evil was winning. But God's timing. God began to use this man, Jehu, to bring about God's will. And you may say, say, well, how can a loving God do this? Because remember, you're going to be challenged by people who don't know God. They're going to say, how can a loving God do this? And as I've always said, as I'm out there witnessing and sharing with people, my response to them is, how could he not? And I always go, what do you mean by that? Well, how could he not? Because he's a God of his word. He's a just God. He gives everyone ample opportunity to turn and to repent. If they choose not to, he turns them over to what they want. You know, they always say, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can he not? He gives them what they want. 
Hell was never designed for human beings, for the created. People choose to go to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. He gives you what you want. That's what you want. He turns you over. Read Romans 1. He turns them over. He's a loving God. He's a just God. God's plan and God's purpose. No one is going to thwart. There's no great evil. There's nothing that's going to stop what God has planned and purpose. And remember, before the earth was formed, before he spoke, the cross was already purpose. Adam and Eve's sin didn't surprise God. Oh, what do we do now? No, he knew. Because ultimately God's purpose is to reveal love to his creation. That's why Jesus says, if they stop worshiping, the rocks will start worshiping me. All creation is longing for the return to be restored for its original purpose. And so a loving God will deal ultimately with those who keep rejecting him. And this witch, because that's what she was, the idolatry, if you never studied Jezebel, if you don't understand the sorcery and the black arts and the magic that she was into and the level of deception that she was, it's fitting for her that her servants threw her out the window. And torn apart by dogs. And then not just her, but everyone that remained that were part of that family removed. And then we have to see this before we move on to Acts. Chapter 10, verse 18. This is another incredible account of God's fulfillment. Then Jehu called a meeting of all the people of the city and said to them, Ahab's worship of Baal was nothing compared to the way I will worship him. Therefore, summon all the prophets and worshipers of Baal and call together all of his priests. See to it that every one of them comes, for I am going to offer a great sacrifice to Baal. Anyone who fails to come will be put to death. But Jehu's cunning plan was to destroy all the worshipers of Baal. Then Jehu ordered, prepare a solemn assembly of worship uh, to worship Baal. So they did. He sent messengers throughout all of Israel, summoning those who worship Baal. They all came. Not a single one remained behind. And they filled the temple of Baal. Oh God, if you never studied about that false god, such, such evil, you all. But anyways... And, from the, and they filled the temple of Baal from one end to the other. And Jehu instructed the keeper of the wardrobe, be sure that every worshiper of Baal wears one of these robes. So robes were given to them. Then Jehu went into the temple of Baal with Jehovadam, son of Rechab. Jehu said to the worshipers of Baal, make sure no one who worships the Lord is here, only those who worship Baal. So they were all inside and in the temple to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed 80 of his men outside the building and had warned them, if you let any of anyone escape, you will pay for it with your own life. As soon as Jehu had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings, he commanded the guards and officers, his guards and officers, go in and kill all of them. Don't let a single one escape. 
So they killed them all with their swords, and the guards and officers dragged their bodies outside. Then Jehub's men went into the innermost fortress, oh Jesus, of, this, of the temple of Baal. They dragged out the sacred pillars used in the worship of Baal and burned it. They smashed the sacred pillar and wrecked the temple of Baal, converting it to a public toilet as it remains to this day. And this way, Jehu destroyed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. He did not, however, oh Jesus, destroy the gold calves at Bethel and Dan, which was Jeroboam's son of Nebat had caused Israel to sin. He did all this work to honor God. And listen, this is huge. This is huge. Remember that when in Ephesians 6, and I mentioned it earlier, it talks about we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and the principalities in the air of the darkness. The worship of Baal so influenced the people of Israel to turn from the living God. And now this false God has been exposed and has been removed. And his temple has been turned in to a place that people use for the restroom. Turned into a toilet. But Jehu didn't go all the way, you all. He didn't get rid of the gold calves. He didn't get rid of the other idols that were imprisoning the people of God. And so many times that happens in our lives. We're so eager to live for Christ. Yes, God changed me. God, I want to live. I want to be fresh and made new. But God, I want to hold on to this though. God, yes, yes to this and that and this and that. But hold off. I like this. I like him. I like her. I like it. And we don't allow what God has begun to free us completely to happen. Because he's never going to force us to give it up. See, when you're loving, you're freely laid it down. Because when I compare him to what I clung to, there's no comparison. Did it hurt? Did it alter everything about me? Oh yeah. Was it easy? It was hard. Was it worth it? Yeah. Because he's God, you all. He's a great God. Jehu stopped short yet again. Verse 30, Nonetheless, the Lord said to Jehu, You have done well in following my instructions to destroy the family of Ahab. Therefore, your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. But Jehu did not obey the law of the Lord. Listen to that. The Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart, he refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. How sad. Jehu... God used mightily, but in the end, Jehu's heart wasn't fully with God. Jehu still was clinging to these false gods that he was influenced by. Oh, may that not be said about our lives. Listen, y'all, God is faithful to complete what he has begun in you. Trust that. Trust that. Don't go clinging to things that you know ultimately is hindering your growth in Christ. Because it'll cost you something. It'll cost you. 
We can't make a mockery of his blood. We can't make a mockery of his resurrection. We can't make a mockery of who he is just because we want to keep living how we want. There is a way, a way in which we are to live, and it's to glorify Christ. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're coming to an end, so hold on. Acts chapter 17. The church has been birthed, praise God. The Holy Spirit has filled the believers. Unbelievers are being saved. God is adding to the numbers of, to the church. We're now at the place where Saul has been transformed. He's, he's Paul now. Him and Silas are on a missionary trip. The Word of God is just spreading. People that aren't godly are irritated. Paul has been beaten and left for dead, but gets up and goes right back into the city. The church is on the move. And if you haven't never studied the book of Acts, oh, how I pray that as we're studying it, that you're truly understanding what it means to be in community. I mean, listen to this. It's chapter 17. We're going to read through... Um, yeah, we're going to read through it. we got time. Here we go. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Anabas and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As, Paul, as, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scripture to reason with people. What did he use? Scripture. Scriptures. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Now don't forget who Paul was. Paul was the Pharisees of a Pharisee. He was well scholared in the Jewish law. He was the Jew of the Jew. And remember, he was killing Christians. He was murdering Christians until Jesus knocked him off of his horse and set him free. And now he is in these synagogues and he's teaching the Jews about the Messiah. Some of the Jews, it said, who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews, oh God, hear this, were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Uh, these are religious Jews, you all. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas, so they could drag them out of the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too. Do you see this? This is the. These are men of God preaching the word of God, and they're being called troublemakers. It was then, so it is now. <laughs> so it is now. You understand the hostility towards the throne of God, and we just want to come to church and play church. We can't, you all. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by the reports. So the officers forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. 
That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to a Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures. I love this, you all. Oh, how we should be doing this. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Listen, I don't care if it's me or any other person preaching the word of God. You don't take it and say, okay, that's, that's the truth. No, no, no. You should take what you're hearing, sit down for yourself, and let the Holy Spirit lead you to ensure that what you're hearing is truth. doesn't matter how holy someone may look or how put together they may be. There's a lot of wolves in sheep clothing devouring the people of God instead of feeding them. So I love this example. And look at this. As they were, so as a result, many Jews believed. As a result, many Jews believed and did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some of the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. And then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to a synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicureans and the Stodic philosophers, where he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideals he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners of Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideals. They were very religious people, you all. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. And this is what I wanted you to hear today, man. This is one of my favorite addresses that Paul gives. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking around, I mean along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God in whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. Come on, Paul. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And humans' hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies, come on, every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations, oh God, are you hearing this? To seek after God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of you own poets have said, we are his offspring 
And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance. Oh, hear this about these things in earlier times. But now, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them was Diopolis, a member of the councils, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Listen, you all. You said, Rob, this has been a long time today. But listen... Don't miss what God is doing. And just as he did then, he wants to do today. You should be out there. You should be growing. And if you're not being discipled, then you should be connecting so that you can get discipled, so that you understand what it means to be a Christian in this world. Like God's message hasn't changed. Repent. Turn from your sins Turn to God. It's not a favorable message. That's why the Bible tells us in the last days, people are only going to want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Say to us what we want to hear. Tell me how I can live my best life now. Don't be bringing up repentance. Don't be bringing up sin. Don't be bringing up hell. Entertain me. Listen, you better understand. We're told, we are told what the last days are going to be like. The love of many are going to grow cold. The level of just filth and everything's on the rise. But God is still on his throne, you all. And where are the people of God today to be able to stand And stand therefore then and proclaim his truth. Paul didn't bash these men and the people of this city because of all of their idols and all their false gods. No, but he delivered to them a message of hope. Some laughed at him. Some kept trying to stir up trouble. But you keep hearing, and I hope you didn't miss it, but others believed. Oh, how I pray that you're among those who believe. Psalm 144. I promise you we're closing now. Psalm 144. I love to end with the book of Psalms and two nuggets of Proverbs because Psalms is needed for today. Psalms is a book from men who live life. They had severe depression. They had severe illness. They had severe attacks by their enemies. They went through life, but yet they knew their God. And so the the book of Psalms is is a book of inspiration to remind you to what? Look up. Because they pen. If you don't keep a journal, you should keep a journal. They penned what was going on in their life. But we see it all the time, but as soon as they pinned what they were enduring, but God, this is who we know you to be. 
It's always looking up. Because if you keep looking out, you're going to get overwhelmed and discouraged. But if you look up, you will get encouraged. Listen, Psalm 144. King David penned this psalm. Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my loving ally in my fortress, my tower of safety. I love this. My rescuer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He makes the nations submit to me. Oh Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them? Mere mortals that you should think about them? For they are like a breath of air. Their days are like a passing shadow. Open the heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they billow smoke. Hurl your lightning bolts and scatter your enemies. Shoot your arrows and confuse them. Reach down from heaven and rescue me. Rescue me from deep waters, from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they, they lie instead. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will, praise, I will sing praises with, you, with a ten-string harp. For you have granted victory to the kings. You rescued your servant David from the fatal sword. Save me. Rescue me from the power of all my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie instead. Many are sons flourish in their youth, what like well-nurtured plants. May our daughters be like graceful pillars, carved to beauty and beautify a palace. May our barns be filled with crops of every kind. May the flocks in our fields multiply by the thousands, even ten thousands. And may our oxen be loaded down with produce. May there be no empty enemy breaking through our walls, no going into captivity, no cries of alarm in our own town squares. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. And what a great reminder. What a great reminder. Yet though David endured all that he endured, he trusted in the fact that God is his provider, his shield, his fortress. God alone is the one for us, you all. Two nuggets from Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28. Proverbs 17, verse 27 through 28. Two nuggets of wisdom that you can take with you this afternoon. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Oh, that we would guard our tongues, you all, and speak only as we are directed to. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness. You give hope, and you restore every heart that is broken. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Yes, Lord. Give life, singer. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart.
Pour out our praise to you, Lord. 